Well, take your Bible if you can, and um, you may remember if you were here last week that before Pastor Bill preached, which was a good, great message, thank you, Pastor Bill, but I had a very short word that I, I shared with the church, and uh, I said I would, would probably be speaking more about it this week, and I am, Lord willing. I've entitled the message today, we're in John 3.16, by the way, John 3.16. I've entitled the message today, Basic Faith, and I realized as I was preparing that a lot of what, what I think might be basic might not be basic to everybody. So you may hear what I'm going to say today and think, man, I knew all that. Well, then that's you, then good. But others may not think this is so basic. So the Lord definitely put some things on my heart and I want to share them. So John 3.16, I'm going to read 16 through 19. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe, he who has not believed in the name of the Holy Begotten, I'm sorry, he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So we, we preach Jesus Christ. You know, we preach Jesus Christ, crucified, died, resurrected, and coming again. We preach repentance. We preach forgiveness uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ, forgiveness of sin. We preach about being born again. We, we preach about having a, an experience with God whereby we become a new creation for the Lord. Uh, we preach about um, being the light, walking in the light, uh, being the light and salt of the earth that the Lord Jesus designed us to be. And so as such, we often call for what we call an altar call. We call for salvations. We call for people to step forward to recommit their lives to the Lord or to receive Jesus or to start a new life with Christ. This is what it's all about. There's no secret with what we do. This is what we do. We proclaim Christ and we hope and we pray for people to respond to the gospel and give their hearts to the Lord. That's what we do. That's, that's all that, that we do. Whether it's in the house or out on the street, this is what we're all about. We're proclaiming Christ. So let's just go through this a little bit. John 3.16. I think most of us know this, but you know, God so loved the world so much that whoever, whatever age, whatever nationality, whatever race, whatever, wherever you come from, whatever you've been through, doesn't even matter. But whosoever would believe on Jesus Christ would be granted eternal life. So it's just a question of letting the word go out and letting people respond to the word. John uh, 3.17, in case anyone is wondering, God did not come to condemn anybody. God came to save. If there's any condemnation, it's not from God and it shouldn't be from the church. It's a gift from God to give life and hope and eternal life. But uh, God didn't come to condemn the world. But he came, he presented Jesus to that through him the world might be saved. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, hallelujah. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Someone asked me, you know, sometimes people ask, is Jesus the only way? And the answer is, well, if you believe the Bible, yes. Jesus is the only way to the Father. 
There's only, only, the only ticket is through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ. Verse 19 says, this is the condemnation. This is the problem. This is what's wrong. That the light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light. And John writes more about this in 1 John chapter 1, when he says, Jesus came to his own, the light came to his own, and his own rejected him. But then it says, whoever would believe in him have been given the right to be called a child of God. So whoever does believe in the Lord is is really a child of God. And, And so this is our purpose, this is our message, we proclaim it to the world around us. But as, as we see in verse 19, there is definitely a fight between light and dark and good and bad and right and wrong and spirit and flesh and spirit against bad spirit, good spirit against bad spirit. There's a war going on. And so even when someone comes to Christ, there's still a war going on. To bring that person, tear that person down, re- reject what has, God has started, like in the parable of the seeds. You know, when it falls on thorny ground or rocky ground, sometimes the seed doesn't flourish because of other things. There's always a battle going on. And so, what, what is God's plan? I mean, like, many years ago when Pamela and I accepted Christ, man, yeah, there was a battle going on. We surrendered our heart to Jesus. But God had a plan it wasn't just like, surrender your heart to Jesus and now go live your life the way you want. It wasn't like that at all. In fact, 99% of my life had to change when I came to Christ. And so what do you do? You know, what's the plan? Well, God has a plan. And the plan is called His church. So Christianity was never, ever designed for the Christians involved in the movement to walk alone. It was always designed that Christians would walk collectively in unity, serving God together. It's always been that way. It'll always be that way until Jesus comes back again. That's why we read some scriptures that say things like, come out from among them and walk with me. Right? There's other scriptures that say, um, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Uh, Our residence, it says in Hebrews, our residence Our residence is not in Haverhill, Mass. Our residence is in heaven, it says. In the new heaven. uh, We are the church of the firstborn and registered in heaven. So all born-again believers are part of the church. Right? Catholic, Protestant, uh, uh, Pentecostals, Evangelicals, Fundamentals, non-denomination. If you're born again, John 3.3 says, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You remember when you became born again? I always look at it like this. The light went on. The light turned on. You could see. You could see the difference of, of being with Christ and not being with Christ. That is a work of, of our will and a work of God's grace working together and a work of the Holy Spirit causing us to see that light and to become born again. So now we are the church. We are, we are a, a, a section of the church. We're the body of Christ. Are we not? We're the body of Christ. Now, the New Testament pattern is every time a people become a part of the church, the overall church, a local church would spring up. So you have the big church, like the universal church, I guess you could say, and then you have the local church. So there's churches when you read the Bible, churches in Jerusalem, in Rome, Ephesus, Corinth, etc., For instance, in one place, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, 
I want to talk to you about the churches of Macedonia, how they're gifted in their giving. And I want you to learn, uh, learn from those churches how to give generously and so forth. So there's two different bodies, all part of the same body, but with a different identity, a different calling, and so forth. And this is what I want to talk about today. Last week, uh, I mentioned a few things uh, in, a, in a few minutes before Pastor Bill came. And today I want to, I want to expound upon them a little bit more. And the reasons for this uh, are, are these. We live in a culture where um, the culture is crying out that basically says, we don't need the local church. We have the big church. We're covered under this banner. We're part of the church. But we're missing, we, we don't want that. We don't need the local church. It's almost as though our social media and our advancements in technology have created a problem for the church. Because you could basically live your life without a local church today. You could. You could, you could turn on, well, you know what I mean, different, different avenues of social media to get fed the Word of God, to, to learn the Word of God. People get, you know, they do their studies. They don't even have a personal contact with anyone. They do it online, and they get credentials to be a minister of the gospel. But it's like, it's like something's missing in there, you know? I don't think Jesus ever intended it to go that far. He designed the church. It was his idea. And for instance, when Pam and I, I'm so glad I got saved before the age of social media. I really am. When I, when we got saved, someone said, you should go to church now. And I said, oh, really? Yeah, go to church. Okay, I'll go to church. I had to get up in the morning and go to church. And then I had to come back at night. Then I had to come back on Wednesday. That's what they did, you know? You couldn't turn on anything. Once in a blue moon, maybe on a Sunday night, there'd be somebody on TV. But in other words, if you wanted to go to church, you had to actually go to church. So now we live in a world where, where a lot of people don't want it, don't need it, don't want the accountability, because they have the larger, they're part of the bigger church, you know? Like how many people do we meet? Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Where do you go to church? Oh, I don't go to church. I, I follow so-and-so on the internet. Oh, it's a different world church we live in. It's a different world. But it was never designed really to be that way, I don't believe. Some people will go to church where, where the church is not following the biblical model like, like we really try to follow the biblical model. The Assemblies of God is really strong in that. We, we try to follow the New Testament church model of having a local church where there's, you know, where there's pastors and leaders and teachers and so on and so forth. And, and we learn and we grow and we expand and we, you know, we do our work in the community. But some churches don't, some people don't like that. They just want to go to church on a Sunday morning and then forget about it till next Sunday. In fact, we're, I, I, I don't mean this to be boastful at all. I, please understand my heart. I, I know of one other church that has a Sunday night service. It's another Assembly of God church in Linfield. But there are no Sunday night services anymore, culturally, to speak of. And there's very few midweek Bible studies anymore. But to me, we're called to do this. As I'm able, healthy-wise, you know, where I have my, my mind and my body and my spirit, I'm going to be doing this until I die. This is what I do, you know. So, so I want to talk to you about five areas of church life. And uh, I preached this message at 9 o'clock this morning. 
and I already got feedback. <laughs> so, so this may, it may ruffle you. I don't know. It may give you something to think of. But one person said, I never thought about all that. I said, well, it's time to think about it, brother. It's time to think about it. It is. It's time to think about these things. And I, I mentioned them last week. And, I, and some of the things I said last week, if you were here, I need to, I need to expound upon to clarify uh, and to give you more information as to where I was coming from and what I said. The first thing I said was, as, as an Assembly of God church, as a, as a church that tries to follow the biblical mandate, we have pastors. Now, some people say, oh, I go to church, but I don't have a pastor. Uh, to me, uh, sorry, it doesn't make sense to me. If you go to church, you have a pastor. But anyway, so, so in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, the Lord, uh, Paul said that the Lord has given to the church, right? Some to be called apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So man, there's a whole lot of information right there. That the role of the pastor in the local church is to train and equip the believers in that church to go out and do a work of ministry. Well, some people don't even want to go there because they don't have time. And, and some people le- le- legitimately don't have time. I, I understand. But overall, we need to be a people that are willing to do work for the kingdom of God. I mean, he gave his life that we could be saved. Can we do something and return to him? So uh, I want to give you two scriptures to think about here. Well, first of all, the apostles, I would, I would equate with missionaries that go out. They're sent out to do a work somewhere else. Start a new work somewhere. Uh, prophets are people used in the local church to bring a word in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Evangelists are people that go preach the gospel where it's never been heard before. Or where people have never surrendered their lives to the Lord. In fact, sometimes there's evangelists that come to churches. And you would think, why would an evangelist come to a church? Because not everyone in the church is serving the Lord. Which is okay, by the way. There should be people that are not serving the Lord, they're seeking the Lord. And sometimes an evangelist will come to preach a message of salvation. But it's the pastor slash teacher that is what I call the blue-collar worker among these, these different gifted people that got, the Lord has given to the church to take care of, to oversee the overall functioning of the local church, the pastors and the teachers. So there's two scriptures, and... Uh, I call this, this is like a, what I would call a two-sided obligation. One on the side of the pastor, the other on the side of the congregation. The first one is from 1 Peter 5. Can we turn there, actually? Can you look in your Bible? Uh, 1 Peter 5, and verses uh, 1 through 4, uh, Peter's writing to the elders. Now, the word elder actually means overseer or pastor. So he says to the elders in verse number two, he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Shepherd the flock that God has given you. So when I think of a shepherd, uh, I think of uh, a person with a staff and uh, that's walking among the sheep. And when a sheep is sick, he takes care of them. When two sheep are fighting, he separates them and tries to talk to them and try to straighten it out. If a sheep is stuck in a tree somewhere, he loosens them up and sets them free. If a, if a sheep is lost, he goes out and gets them and brings them back. So he, he provides for them. He takes care of the sheep. So he says, shepherd, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, uh, serving as overseers. And, but, but don't do it by compulsion. Don't do it because you have to. Do it willingly. 
not for dishonest gain. Do it eagerly and don't be lord, don't lord it over them. So don't be heavy handed in your shepherding. Right? But be examples to the flock. And when the good shepherd comes, you'll receive your reward and so forth. Do you know, I've been a pastor for a long time and I never thought I would ever be a pastor when I was, when I was a new Christian. And I would, ne- I would say I would never even aspire to be a pastor unless God called me to be a pastor. And I don't say this with any, any ego or pride. I really don't. Um, it's a calling. If you're called to be a pastor, it's the best thing in the world to do. If you're not called to be a pastor and you're pastoring, it'll drive you crazy and it'll kill you. It might kill you anyway. Because you're dealing with people and you're dealing with spirits. You're dealing with God and you're dealing with Satan. It's, it's a difficult, it's a different type of a job, if you could put it that way. But the admonition is, God has given to the church pastors and teachers. And so, as such, I have to look at that and say, okay, I, 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 I'm called. Okay, I, I accept that. So I can't do it because I have to do it, or I can't do it because I want to make money out of it. I can't do it to be heavy-handed. I have to do it humbly serving the Lord and serving the people. That's my responsibility to do. And I try my best to do it that way. Now, on the other hand, the double-sided obligation is found in Hebrews chapter 13. Can we go there? The Hebrews 13, uh, 17 is, is every pastor's favorite scripture, by the way. Can I just put that out there? <laughs> so he says, obey those that lead you and, and submit to them. Hallelujah. Every pastor says, yes. <laughs> but it, it gets better. <laughs> for they watch out for your soul. So personally speaking, if, you're, if you belong here, I watch out for your souls. That's a heavy load. That's a heavy responsibility. But it's a good responsibility. I I, I receive it. I like it, in fact. I I enjoy it, for the most part. There's always, you know. But then it says, watch out for yourself. As as those who must give an account. Uh Uh-oh, now it's on me. That I've got to give an account for you when I stand before the Lord. how How I deal with you. How I... How I love you, correct you, guide you, whatever, teach you. I've got to stand before God and and be accountable for that. And then he says, this is the part that everyone loves, pastors that is. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. Oh my goodness. So that's on you. That's on the congregation. Let the pastor, wherever you go to church, let me get out of it. Wherever you go to church, let the pastor do his job with joy and not with grief. (laughs) <laughs> now that's preachable right there I, I, I'm holding back right here but, but you have to realize there are some pastors that don't have, don't have joy they don't and they're filled with grief I see it, I meet with a lot of pastors I hear their stories and sometimes I share mine but it's a difficult situation there's a two way obligation the pastor's got to be humble but the people have to be humble as well and then, then it, it, sends, it, it concludes this, now, this was, this was on you now, because if you do that, it'll be unprofitable for you. So if you drive your pastor crazy, guess what? It's not good for you. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> and it's not my battle to fight. This is, the, this is the balance of the thing. Pastors cannot, you know, push back too hard because that's not our role. But to release someone to the Lord is even worse. 
Didn't Paul say that? Well, you know, what he said was, release that one to Satan. That's even worse. But I don't, sometimes I think release that one to the Lord is even worse than releasing them to Satan. You know what I'm saying? Are you still glad you came here today? <laughs> First Sunday of the year. I'm trying to get it straight. First thing. So anyway, uh, as such, you could look at those scriptures later if you want. They're great scriptures. A balance. So we at the church, we have a pastor, we have an associate pastor, our wives are involved in ministry, we have leaders, ministry leaders and so forth, we have a lot of helpers, we have structure is what I'm saying. This is the function of the local church. We don't just meet on Sunday and that's it. That's not it. This is the first day of the week. We have the rest of the week to deal with what happens today. And then get ready for next Sunday. And it goes on and it goes on until Jesus comes back. It's quite an interesting dynamic. Just ask my wife. She'll be happy to tell you. Okay, the second thing is this. As, as the body of Christ, we're, we're part of the, the universal church, right? As a part of that universal church, Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but let us get together to exhort one another, especially as you see the day of the Lord appearing. Well, there's no way the entire church of the world could get together. Well, maybe by internet now, but what he's talking about is when you get together locally, you know, you you need to get together on a local level as you wait for the Lord's return. And you get together to exhort one another. The verse above that, if you look in your Bible, Hebrews 10, 24, it says, when you get together, you, you come together to stir up love and good works. So don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Exhort one another, especially as you see the day of the Lord appearing. So you have to ask yourself, what am I stirring up? Anger, pride, jealousies, contentions, backbiting, gossiping. What am I, when I come into a place of worship, how can I say it? Check it at the door. Check all that at the door. Someone said uh, during our times in between this morning, they felt a freedom here in the church today. I do. I feel a freedom. But that's how it should be. There should be anything, either check it at the door or during altar time or prayer time, bring it to the altar and lay it down. But you cannot come to church and to the local assembly with all this stuff going on and expect to experience God. It'll be bad for you and probably bad for 10 other people that know what's going on with you. Church is a place to get it straightened out, not to bring it in and let it fester. So, 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 putting number one with number two, then, so the pastor's role is to tell everybody that. So I'm glad you're here to hear what I have to say. Because this is the Bible. I'm not making it up. I'm not making it up. This is God's plan. Believe me, this is not my plan. This is God's plan. So we, we do need to meet together as often as we can. And we all know we can't meet every Sunday of the year or every Sunday night or whatever. But we need to be consistent in our gathering together. And we need to have you know, one main place that we call our own. It's better for us that way. So we get together to stir up love and good works among us. Right? Now number three, uh, number three caught the most feedback from last Sunday. I only spoke on this for about 30 seconds, if that, last Sunday. And that's the topic of gossip. But I don't need to tell you, gossip in the world is bad. 
It's poison. It's a cancer. It's negative. It brings people down. But when that happens in the church, it's even worse. Because we know better. And that's what, ha- that's what happens sometimes. People talk and they talk in a mean way. They talk in a, in a detrimental way. They talk with, a, with an air of superiority when they don't have it. And, and it, it brings negativity to the local church. So James 3 says, no one can tame the tongue, but God can. All right? No one can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And my contention today is that this is all over Facebook and Instagram and social media. People are saying things, uh, they're um, like, like innuendos or little complex statements that people make that, that play in your mind. And it does a job in your mind. Are they talking about me? Are they referring to me? And it's not good for the body of Christ. Now, when this was written way back in the day, there wasn't social media. There wasn't that aspect of it. It was more or less people by people in real life. Now we have that plus the, all the other. And you never know when people are talking about you or against you or, or if they're for you or, or against you. You never know anymore because you see all this stuff on social media. That's why many people are checking out of social media because they've had it. <laughs> they've had it. And I... That may be something soon for me as well, but I, I, I use it for the church and uh, different friends at, at home. But <laughs> Listen to what the scriptures say. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight: A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. A whisperer is a gossiper. <laughs> Talking behind their back. It brings strife. It brings division. It's not good. It does not belong in the church. Okay, 1 Timothy 5.13. This was addressed to the, to the widows in the church. Uh, Paul was telling Timothy how to deal with these widows. He said that they're gossiping busybodies and they're saying things that they ought not to say. But can I put a P.S. on this? In many cases, men are worse than women. So women don't feel too bad because in real life men are equally or if not worse than women when it comes to this topic of gossip 2 Corinthians 12 20 uh, interestingly Paul puts gossip in the same category as these other sins like contentions jealousies anger selfishness backstabbing and conceit he throws in whisperings in that category so in my mind it's like it's not like someone's going to come up and hit you in the face. It's not like that. It's like they're going to talk about you and play a head game with you. So you don't know where you stand. And that does a great disservice to the body of Christ. You're, like, you don't, you're looking at people, you, you hear what they're saying, nice things to your face. And in the background, somebody else is telling you what they really said. It, like, it plays a, a trick on your mind. It's, it's stifling. It's, it's handicapping the church in many ways. And this, the church has no place for this type, this type of uh, behavior. Now, listen, this does not mean, by any stretch of the imagination, that people can't talk about things. Of course, you have to talk about things. I mean, there's already talk about, I mean, I'm talking about things. <laughs> I'm talking about maybe a different idea for Hillstock this year. Is that a bad thing? No. We've got to do things differently. We have to talk about doing new things. and do, That doesn't mean I'm putting anybody down for how it's being done. It just means we're talking about being creative or whatever. So there's, there's got to be a balance with all of that. I, I remember uh, some time ago I shared with you that Pastor Jim Simbola from Brooklyn Tabernacle says to his new members in the church, when they take on new members, 
he says to them publicly, you are now commissioned. When you hear people gossip in the church, he says, whether it's about me, my wife, my family, or any other leader in the church, or any other person in the church, you as a member of the church are commissioned to say to that person, we don't do that here. That would solve a whole lot of problems right there. We don't do that here. If you've got a problem with someone, do what the Bible says and go talk to them. In person, not on Facebook, not, not sneakily, but deal with them face to face. And just deal with it. It's okay, you know. And let me say one more thing while I'm on the subject. I, I've always been a passionate person. I've always been a passionate My nickname before Rocky ever came out was Rocky. All right? I had that. I had that thing, whatever that is. But I see Moses got angry. David got angry. Peter got angry. Paul got angry. Paul and Barnabas had a sharp dissension and they split. Jesus got angry. There's not a problem with anger if it's handled the right way. Sometimes people have a passion and they get angry at something. You know what? I think it's okay, as long as it's a righteous anger, not a fleshly anger. There's a world of difference between the two. So I, I, I don't want people to leave here. Now, uh, please, I don't want to have World War III outside today. I don't want to have a fist fight in the parking lot. Pastor Rick said, no, I'm not saying that. No. I'm saying, don't be afraid to express yourself. In honesty, express yourself and deal with the issues. And allow God to use it. I mean, what happened when Paul and Barnabas had a conflict? They both separated, and they, the, the, the work doubled because they both kept on in, in the Lord. They separated, but they continued. So, so, anyway, can we try to work on that in the church? You know? Please. See, but if you don't have a pastor, this is like going in one ear and out the other, you know? But this is what the pastors bring into this church. This isn't for every church in the world. This is for this church right now. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. So number four is even better than number three. <laughs> because it, I know it is. And number five, I didn't think was better than four, but I think it is actually after this morning. Words. Spiritual words. I never really thought about it that much. I mean, I have to some degree. But when I study the Word of God, I study the New Testament pattern of giving words, I find some interesting things, actually. Well, the gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, different gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm referring to words like a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a word of prophecy given to someone. Um, And usually they're given in our native language, or else they're given through a tongue and interpretation. But here's the thing. When you study the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're always given in a public situation. So that if someone says something idiotic, those that are spiritual would say, that's idiotic. That's not from God. It says in 1 Corinthians 14.32 that the prophets are subject to the prophets. So it's designed that way on purpose. So when someone says something, it's got to bear witness. If it doesn't bear witness, guess what? It's probably not from God. All right? So what I said last week was um, several people, and it wasn't just one instance, there were several instances where people come to me and say, so-and-so gave me a word, and I don't think it's a word. I think it's a, I think it's a false prophet. I said, well, tell me what happened. So they tell me what happened. And I said, well, either... Either that word was not a word, 
Or maybe it's for not now. You know, maybe. And so I said to the church last week, if you feel like, well, first of all, if you feel like you've got a word for the church, it needs to be said publicly. That's why people do it publicly. Like during worship, when someone speaks in English or uh, gives a tongue and interpretation. That's, that's the biblical pattern. I have yet to find in the New Testament anyone that God spoke to so-and-so to tell it to so-and-so in secret. I can't find that in the Bible. If you know of it, let me know. I, don't, I can't find it. If, if there is a word that comes to this person, to that person, it's done publicly as well. So that the same reason, it could bear witness. What's all this secrecy? I don't like secrecy. What, what is that? You know, secrecy is like we're, we're devil's play. Oh, I got a word for you. Oh, really? Well, why didn't God just tell me? I've said that to people. as They have a word for me. You have a word for me? Well, yeah, but why didn't God just tell me? He could use you to tell me, but if he uses you to tell me, can we get a little affirmation from somebody? See, here, here's my other thing. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 Paul writes to the church in the same passage of the gifts, right? So chapter 12 tells what the gifts are. Chapter 14 explains the usage of the gifts. In that chapter 14, he says, by the way of my words, tell all the women they're not allowed to speak in church. Really? Yeah, read it, verse 34. So, did he mean... All ladies of all time, in every place, forever and ever, until Jesus comes back, they can't speak in the church? No. He meant in that church, at that time, ladies, zip it, because there's a problem. And I'll deal with the problem when I get down there. That's what he was saying. So in the same manner, I'm taking a pastoral position. I'm saying, can we take a little bit of a breather with all the personal words? And just say, you know what, if there's a word, I'm all for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, absolutely. But can we do it in a biblical manner? If you have a secret word for somebody, please run it by a pastor or a leader or get another confirmation. If you receive a word from somebody that makes no sense for you, you know, talk to me about it. And let's deal with it. Let's not, everything that happens, I'm afraid to say this, it's not from God. It just isn't. And the sooner we get that, the better off we're going to be. I always feel like, you know, like on Sunday morning, and Paul says in in chapter 14, let there be two or at the most three words that come. I always feel like if there's one real word from God, man, that's good for me. I'm good with that. But he allows two or three to happen. But these personal words, I think we really need to get a handle on them. You really ask God for help and guidance in that area. But that's why the local church has leadership I've, I've had so many people over the years get hurt and confused by so-called words that weren't words from God. But they believed they were words from God. But they never came to pass. And years later, they're still scratching their heads saying, what was that all about? That makes the church lose credibility, let alone the Lord. I've seen people lose faith over these things. Well, he said this was going to happen. That didn't happen. Where's God? I don't even believe in God. It, it gets to be a problem. So that's why I'm taking the position that I'm taking. It's a, it could be a serious issue. Now, does that mean we're going to cut off the gifts? No, although some churches have cut off the gifts. They don't want the gifts in operation because they've been abused so much. I'm not going that far. But I'm saying, you personal words, please. 
Please, just get a handle on the personal words. Okay, the last one is this. I never thought this would, be a, this would create any controversy. The role of elders. It's not just because I am elderly, kind of. <laughs> I've always respected my elders. If I didn't, my father would have killed me back in those days. Where am I in my notes? Man, I'm all mixed up. Okay. Yeah, the elderly. Not the elderly. Elders. No, no I, I love youth. I love youth. I love the youth, youth movement. In fact, again, social media is flooded with the youth movement. You see these big concerts and worship services. I'm all for I am in on that. I love it. I love what God's doing with young people. I love the, the energy and the zeal they bring, the new music they bring. I love it all. I just want to put it in perspective that this really happened, and I'm not blowing my own horn, but it happened in the 60s. It did. When all the hippies were going crazy, getting stoned and having sex everywhere, God raised up the hippies in the Jesus movement and saved them and filled them with the Holy Spirit. They, they changed the church back then. This isn't a new thing. It's just bigger now. But it's snowballing. But it happened a long time ago. And we need that energy. We need that zeal and that, that, that youthful you know, vigor for God. But it does raise a couple of questions for me. What's the cutoff? Age-wise. I mean, it used to be like you're 18 or 20. Man, you join the army. You're a man. Then you're grown up. Then it got to be around 30. Now it's like 40, 45. I don't even know when it stops and when adulthood starts anymore. Can't tell. I meet people that are 40 that I think they're, they act like they're... Oh, I don't want to go there. I won't go there. But what I'm saying is, yeah, there has to be a youth movement, and we embrace the youth movement. We have a youth group, we have children, we have all that, and we embrace that, and we must have that. However, (laughs) the zeal of the youth must be tempered with the wisdom of the elders. Now, now, this is where I got myself in trouble this morning, I think. Not all elders have wisdom. All right, I, I get that. However, I'm talking about elders in the church that have been established and rooted and grounded and have a proven track record, and now they're a little bit older. Those people need to be respected more. And so that wisdom, with the, with the zeal of the youth, puts together a dynamic force that penetrates the culture. And you need both. Because the older people, many times, don't have the physical energy, but the younger people don't have the spiritual wisdom. But you put it together, and you have a dynamic force that changes the culture around us. Amen. So I don't know why that was controversial. Anyway, Leviticus 19. Listen to this. Rise before the gray-headed. Oh. And then, honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. Remember in the old days when an older person walked in the room? People would actually stand up. Now... The old man would be happy if he has a seat, if someone offers him a seat. It wasn't always like that culturally. It's like that now. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. Man, don't rebuke an older man, but treat him, exhort him like a father. 
Exalt older women as a mother. Respect your elders. 1 Peter 5 5 says, You young people, submit yourselves to your elders. And then it goes on to say, Have a mutual respect for one another. This is very crucial in a church. I don't know why that was such a thing this morning, but anyway. You see what pastors have to deal with? I have to go home and think about it. Say, well, how am I going to deal with that? Okay. Anyway, basic faith. Basic faith. Jesus brings salvation. But it's the church that manages. (laughs) That manages. (laughs) I'll leave it. The church manages the people who get saved. Through the Lord working through, of course. But Jesus saves, the church manages. So in that setting, there's the pastors and the leaders. There's, a, there's the right attitude of why we get together. There's the, the, the ban on gossip. Zero percent tolerance for gossip, right? There's the gifts of the Holy Spirit, properly done. There's the respect for elders. And respect for youth as well, if you want to go there. But all working together... It creates a very dynamic local church. And when there's many local churches functioning like that, the body of the church at large is empowered because all these smaller, you know, smaller bodies are functioning on all cylinders. And they're effective. So the whole body of Christ is effective. I always wonder, I mean, Haverhill's a city of what? 60,000 people. I think there's about 40 churches in Haverhill. And I keep on asking myself, does this look like a city of 60,000 people that have 40 churches in it? To me, and I don't, I'm sorry if I'm critical, but if there's 40 churches that are functioning at full force, full level, I think this community would be more transformed than what it is. I really do. And I'm involved with some of the pastors, and some of the pastors don't even want to come to the meetings. That, that's a problem. So it's not happening the way we think it should happen. But if it were happening, well, all we can do is our part in this anyway. So, anyway, basic faith. I don't know if that's basic to you or not, but it's the basis of our faith. Let me close with this scripture from Second Peter. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. This is the greater danger. That we're, we who are steadfast, we're doing good, right? And we start to, you know, chip away at these things I just talked about. We start gossiping a little bit. We start, you know, giving people words or hearing things we know aren't right, but we let them in. Or we forget about the role of the pastor or the local church or whatever. We, we lose our steadfastness. You know what? It happens. And it's not good. So be careful, beware, lest you fall, also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. That says, I don't need all this stuff. It's just me and Jesus. How many times have we heard that? It's just me and Jesus. Well, it was never meant to be just you and Jesus. I hate to tell you. Sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with people like me. <laughs> but then it says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Grow in this concept. Grow in this understanding of, of the role of the church and, and the biblical knowledge of what the local church is all about. Grow in that understanding. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So, 2020, here we are. Laying it down. 
This is the basics of what we believe and how we function. So I realize there may be some people that say, that's the last time I'm going to that church. We're too controlling. But again, shepherds control their sheep to a degree. You have to admit, if a shepherd doesn't control the, the, the sheep, then there's something wrong with the shepherd. And the sheep are going to hurt themselves. So there is some, you know, some oversight over the body. Amen.